0: morning i want to start this place i kind want of where i started the first service and take a deep breath all right fantastic so it's one of those things i've just come to realize as i think about church that uh, i am i'm looking and this is important i'm looking to be a place where we represent a movement of god and what I mean by that is so often we go to church, church becomes that place where we sing, we see friends, and we listen to a sermon. For those who are part of that like salsa thing, 55 and over, I would love for you to sit back sometime and actually count just to the best of your ability round about how many sermons you feel like and think that you have heard. Over the years. For some, I was to talking to one person, right? He's like, I literally Steve, if I do this, the math here, it's at least 2,000 just sermons on Sunday morning, let alone Sunday school, let alone Wednesday night that I went to growing up, right? It's well, well into the thousands. And I recognize, if I'm completely honest with you, that when I preach, I think for some people, not all of you, it's fine, right? It's moving on Sunday morning. But here's my question. Somebody, without looking at your notes and cheating, tell me what my three main points were from a sermon three weeks ago. Right? And nobody can. You know what? I can't either! (laughs) Right? Right? And so, because the reality is like his preaching is is, as powerful as in the moment. It's just not really that earth shattering. My words don't really carry that much weight. No one is a teacher. No one is a preacher. Their words ultimately don't carry the weight that we like to think that they do if we're completely honest. Because the only thing that has ultimate impact are people ultimately saying yes to Jesus, obeying him, and then following him. And when we talk then about being at church, like, again, this isn't a guilt trip. It's supposed to release you to recognize, like, God loves you. God wants to empower you. God wants to move in you. And yes, he may use a sermon here and there, and that's so great. But he can also use primarily your time in prayer, your time in worship, your time in conversation with other people. And the idea is we talk about being a movement of God and the act of God. I don't live in some delusion that I... I am God's gift to you to make things happen. I'm just a human being, just like you, with all of my faults, all of my failures. I could sit up here and just literally tell you, I suck at this, I suck at this. I use that word because when I pray, that's the words that I use with Jesus. Literally. So if you don't use suck in your family, I'm sorry. I just say that when I'm praying, right? God, I'm terrible at this, right? And I'm not saying it to beat myself up. I just recognize, God, ultimately, it's about you. It's about you. And so that frees me up on Sunday mornings. If you sit here and judge my sermons, it's not. It's great. That's fine. Just stop doing it because it's a waste of your time. I know I'm not great. And I know my words aren't that great. Who is great as Jesus? And I just invite you, would you just surrender? and say, God, I'm going to stop getting on, I'm, going to, I'm just going to stop complaining, I'm going to start throwing stones at things and belittle things to make myself feel better, and I'm just going to start obeying and loving and being a part of the answer to the problem rather than just point at the problem. I release you from being a problem pointer outer. There is no life for those who just critique for critique's sake. There's no life in that you don't ultimately enjoy it. All you do is live miserable in it and just begin to celebrate the love of Jesus for you and celebrate the love of Jesus for other people and stop literally going, did you see what they wore today to church? Oh my gosh. Right? No. And just love people because we're about the movement of God. Right? Can someone say amen who agrees with that? All right. There we go. So let's dive into notes now. Here we go. Last week we focused on this foundational truth of Jesus from Matthew chapter 5. It is this. It is the poor who in spirit... The poor in spirit rises, talk about the kingdom of God. It's the poor in spirit who live in and they experience the fullness of the kingdom of God. The poor in spirit, they're the ones who live in and experience the fullness of the kingdom of God. We said, and this is on the screen, to be poor in spirit means we recognize Who we are, our smallness, in light of who God is, his greatness, right? The words we said last week, I am not strong, only God is strong. I am not able, only God is able. I have nothing except what God has given me in life. I can't produce things in my own strength. I'm not deserving, only God is deserving, right? Oh, my final thought in this sequence that I said last week was this, we don't have power, Only God has power. So spiritual poverty, then, is simply our surrender to God's greatness. I have nothing of value, so I surrender even the things that I hold as value and say, God, they're nothing compared to you. You're great. In this, I lean into, I trust in, The one who is big, who's powerful and capable in all things. I rely on him. The idea, we get this place, because if you get the picture, if I am small, if I'm small, if I realize my powerlessness, if I recognize how incapable I am of things in my own strength, then what do I do? Then I look for the person or the thing that is strong enough. And that's the idea of spiritual poverty. I recognize I can't do things, only God can. And that's where we begin. So when speaking of the kingdom and our role in it, in it the, the, the role in it, you could make the argument. That our recognition, our recognition of our powerlessness, our poverty, right, and our recognition of God's power, then, to experience the kingdom, it's a priority. So, I'll say it again, a different way. To experience, right, God's power, that I can, there's an argument that can be made that we have to recognize and be awakened to our powerlessness and recognize God's power. Paul lived with this conviction. We looked at this, his words last week from 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 4 and 5. It says, My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words or the demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith would not rest on any of my human wisdom, because I have nothing to offer, but instead on God's power. Right? Paul recognized that the manifestation An expression of God's power. It was necessary. He needed it. We all needed the power of God to move in life. And if people based their faith on anything that Paul offered and not on God himself, then their faith would be compromised. That's a huge statement. If people put their faith in what Paul said, well, Paul said, or my pastor said, right, then their faith is in the words of a man rather than the power of God, and he was not comfortable with that. He states emphatically two, two chapters later in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, 18 through 20, kind of giving a little background, says, some of you have become arrogant. I don't know about you, but I can, I can like name a few people. Like, I'm not casting stones, I'm just recognizing people like this who are in our culture, right? Comes and says, You're arrogant. Surely become arrogant as if I were not coming to you to challenge you, to, to, like, you're speaking bad about me behind my back. Like, you think I'm not going to come back and talk to you about this? You're crazy, right? This is crazy here. So, in this, but I will come to you very soon if the Lord is willing, and then I will. Find out, not only how these arrogant people are talking, but I'm going to check and see, do they have power with it? For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. You see, we want to be a people who go after the power of God, right? Not the talk of a human being, right? You know the phrase, talk is cheap, comes to mind here. All that matters is the power of God, and I would say as well as the kingdom Our poverty of power. Our poverty. All that matters is the power of God and our awareness of our poverty of power. Let's kind of put poverty into perspective, right? Let's put into perspective. We've talked... In the last several weeks about Chronicles of Narnia, Aslan, the Jesus figure, the central figure, right, uh, of the whole story from C.S. Lewis. And we, we see Aslan, if you watch in the movie with Leon Neeson's voice, right, he's like this larger than life, like bigger than the average lion. He's beautiful. He's muscular. Like there's that scene where he roars and the witch just sits down in fear of him. I love that. That's one of my favorite scenes. In the whole movie, right? Just the power expressed into the moment, right? But he's also tender and sweet, and you can wrestle with him, right? It's like, but don't get too familiar, right? And so imagine this type of lion figure, but not as a so lion in general, and I put you in a 20 by 20 room, not 10 by 10, you're welcome, but a 20 by 20 room with that lion. And that, that lion's not eaten, kind of like Daniel Lyons then, right? And you're bleeding somehow. I don't know how it happened, but you are. And he can smell it. No, you're sitting in that room 20 by 20 with a line. Let me ask you a question. How strong would you feel in the moment? In that room, how in control would you feel? How many of you would know what to do? Because I'm sitting in the room going, do I scream and put my hands up tall in the air like you do with a bear? Do I just play like a possum and play dead in the moment, and pretend like that? I don't know what to do because I'm not the one in control in the room. I am in poverty of power. And that's the picture as it relates to who we are and who God's called us to be but with the all-loving, all-kind, all-compassionate, perfect, loving God over all creation. Poverty of power. God is the lion in the world, and thankfully we are not. And like Paul, we must begin to celebrate and exalt the power of God. Because it's the foundation of the kingdom of God We must begin to embrace our weakness Because when we reach this place like Paul did I have nothing to offer My talk is cheap I'm not going to do anything to make you focus on me When we do that, we embrace our weakness Let me tell you what happens Jesus says, thank you for getting out of my way Now watch what I'm going to do The message of the kingdom, his power, our powerlessness, God is the lion, we are not. With that in mind, I'm going to focus on a couple of scriptures this morning, kind of painting a picture of God's power. I'm going to kind of name some things you probably think of, others that you may not, and hopefully at the very end name something that has never crossed your mind about the power of God. I'm going to read two scriptures, okay, both from Matthew and 1 and 11 in chapter 12, and I'm, not, I'm going to give you like just like this much of what's available in that scripture, I'm going to try to break it all down and sound super smart. I'm just going to share with you some of the convictions I had while reading it around the power of God that I hope are helpful for you, and maybe even if we allow God to do it, right, to move beyond, beyond the mind to the heart and say, God, would you make these words come alive? Then all of a sudden the power of God becomes something very real and tangible in your life and not just something you can talk about and share with others. That's the big win. creates movement when the power of God's able to move. With that, Matthew 12, 22 through 28. You can follow along on the screen or, on your own, or in your own Bible if you'd like to. Here we go, verse 22. Then they, this kind of the crowd, brought him, Jesus, a demon possessed man who was blind and mute, and Jesus healed him. So he could both talk and see. All the people were astonished and said, Could this be the son of David? So again, that's just a title connected to being the king and being the Messiah, right? Could this be the son of David? Verse 23. But when the Pharisees heard this, they said, "It's only by Beelzebub, the right, the prince of demons, that this fellow drives out demons." Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, "Listen, that's silly talk. That is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. He didn't say it like that. That's what he's meaning, right? Any is every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined. and every city or household divided against itself will not stand, right? So this is this is not logical. If Satan drives out Satan, he's divided against himself, right?" Then how can his kingdom stand if that's the case? And if I drive out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your people drive them out? So then they will be your judges, verse 28. But if it is by the Spirit of God that I drive out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. So Jesus is in this moment, right? And you have this group over here who are followers like, we think he's the Messiah. We have these Pharisees, religious leaders who are like, we don't know what the power is, but it's not from God, right? And so when they begin to speak, Jesus is being accused, basically of being a magician using the black arts. That's kind of the idea, right? To cast demons out of people. The goal of his accusers is to det- is to ultimately destroy Jesus' credibility so people Will stop following jesus and continue to follow them right the accusers are afraid because the power of god that jesus is demonstrating is so messiah-esque that people literally are asking in verse 23 is this the king we've been waiting for is he the son of god is he the messiah right there's such an expression of power Like, I wonder if you ever experienced that level of power from God that it just stops you in your tracks and go, oh, my gosh, that had to have been God. This is the moment that they're having right here. Right. But here is a telling takeaway. They thought that he was the Messiah because he represented some level of power. The Pharisees. that there was some sort of supernatural power also to the point they had to find some way to uh, explain it. So they said it was basically the power of Satan that he was experiencing. But either way, here's the telling take, either way power is attributed to Jesus that is supernatural in its form and supernatural in its expressions. Again, stated simply, supernatural power demanded a supernatural source. It's important. There was such a movement of power from Jesus that people from both sides of the camp over here recognize there's something unique, something powerful, something overwhelming. We can't quite get it. We don't understand it. It is completely otherworldly. And I think it's important to note that Satan is assumed in verse 26 to have a kingdom, to have a kingdom and the work of God in Jesus then is to then overpower and overthrow his kingdom and establish his own in the lives of the broken people he was around he came to set this person free to break the power of the kingdom of the enemy to then set up his reign and rule in his life as the true king establishing his kingdom so much so so that Jesus says when I cast out the demon then the kingdom has come into this person's life so that he can, so I can reign and rule in this person's life it's powerful supernatural move of God, light always exposes and in a sense defeats darkness, King Jesus, he's coming to show I am superior I am more powerful here's the point, we have to be a people, listen Please don't tune this out. We have to be a people who believe in, convicted by, a power of God that has such supernatural significance that even the demons submit to Him. And He has power to cast demonic presence out from any place. In any person. The takeaway is very simple for us. Vintage. We believe in a very real and active spirit realm where forces are moving beyond our sight and beyond our controls. And we believe that Jesus is the lion who can control, tame, and defeat our enemy. It's a place to land. It's a place to not go Nanny, nanny boo boo, and stick it to him, and just say, "No, I, I don't. I don't have to give you any level of of value, enemy. I don't have to look at you. I don't have to talk to you. I'm just going to look at Jesus because you were so small and He is so big. I would much rather talk about His bigness than your smallness. So I just look at Jesus. I don't even care about you. The kingdom of God has come to set people free." The miracle of Matthew 12 trumpets the arrival of God's ruling power in such a way that Satan's display of power on us is challenged and in the process he's being defeated. This is super important. Paint this picture here. You all watched a lot of movies over the day. Count how many movies you've watched over the years, I'm just saying, right? The enemy of this world and Jesus Are not equals on opposing sides. Super important. They are not equals on opposing sides. God is creator. The enemy is created, He is God. He is Lord, he has more power, he has more control, he has foresight, he has insight, he has ability, and he is God with a capital G, and he's just, I don't even know. (laughs) And when we live our lives then, how often do we treat the work of the enemy and the work of God as equals? And we treat it like Star Wars, right? Whether these two, the force and the dark side, and the dark side just always seems to win, and we just get lucky for the good guys to win. That's just wrong. And I release you from it. Power in the kingdom to set everyone and everything free, to reign and to rule. Matthew 11, going back to verses we've already read, Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the good news is proclaimed to the poor. As we discussed a few weeks ago, Jesus didn't meet everyone's expectation of what the King and the Messiah would do, maybe even including John himself. Here's the point. Jesus' life, his lifestyle, the things that he did, but more importantly, the things that he did not do, right, caused people to have their expectations crushed and were offended by Jesus. He was offensive because he didn't meet their expectation of what a king had the power to do and what a king should do. We touched on that fact, right, that many of us have our own tension with Jesus because our expectations of how and when and where Jesus should move just don't happen. And so we said we live in this tension then of the focusing on the part of the kingdom that has not yet come versus recognizing there's just a tension in that anxiety. Suffering happens and hardship occurs, but I am going to focus on what the kingdom has done and the fact of what part of the kingdom has come. And we see that pictured here in the life of Jesus and in his ministry here in Matthew chapter 11. In this, we see this place of Jesus beginning to move. So the first thing that we see in Matthew 12, Jesus found, this is important, what the power of God does, how he moves with his kingdom Number one, he finds those who are spiritually oppressed, those who are demonized, and he exhibits his power over the enemy, and he sets people free. Here we see Jesus expressing the power of the kingdom. I wonder how many of you literally, this, and this is this is a little, little story time, I'm going to tell one of my stories, it's all about Jesus, not about me, it's have to be a conduit, of the moment where I experienced this exact same thing that Jesus is naming. I've got multiple stories, you do too, of God literally breaking the back of the enemy who was trying to crush people. I had this person come to me who, this is a couple of years ago, and they'd had some very traumatic things happen in their lives, and, and they were experiencing heavy, heavy doses of PTSD from sin that had been committed against them. They came to me and started talking about this piece, and I, and I said to them, because of these pieces, you need to get into counseling to have someone walk you through this Trauma, But the other side of this was she was also having suicidal thoughts and would lay in bed at night and hear voices speaking to her, telling her to kill herself. And we talked about it. I realized she was not making it up. It was a very realistic things. I said, are they like literal audible voices? She's like, I can't tell sometimes. That's a pretty big deal, right? And so I just look at her and I hear the Lord Sorry. Sorry. Heard the Lord say, it'll just take me three minutes. I looked at her and said, listen, this is crazy, but I felt like God just said, he can take care of this in about three minutes. Is that okay? Not your PTSD stuff, trauma, go to counseling. Suicidal thoughts, the voices you're hearing, God can set you free. She said it. Yes. I want to be I don't know about you, but when you're demonically oppressed, you want to be set free, so met she and her husband at her at their house, and she's like literally at like like this,' just kind of shaking and moving it was just, uh, in her and her husband God love him, he's just like i don't know he starts naming all of these things well, maybe it's this i'm like, I got you, bro, I got you, I appreciate your help. I know you love her right we're going to take care of this, so I was beginning to ask her some questions. <clears throat> And I looked at him and said, I'm about, things about to happen. Just don't freak out on me. Right? And he's like, okay, okay, right? He's like, what do they mean? Like, I don't know. We'll see. Be fun. And so, ask her some questions and just begin to pray. Say, Jesus, it's nothing to do with me. It's about you. Didn't raise my voice. I didn't get all wild and crazy. I didn't start rebuking things in Jesus name. Just begin to pray. About three minutes in, literally, It's <laughs> a great moment, three minutes in, she goes, Oh my gosh oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, and her husband's like, ah, right, I'm like, what's going on, is it good, it's good, it's good, I don't know what's happening, all of a sudden I feel this weight lifting, it's like, am I floating, and I'm, I'm on the couch, right, I'm still I'm still, I'm still, still on the couch, right, I feel like I'm floating, there's such a lightness that's come over me, I don't know what to do, it's like, it's just like, ah, uh, it's like, ah, uh, and I'm like, oh, is, this, is it good, she's like, it's so good, it's so good, it's so good, right, and I'm like, it's good, husband, he's like, okay, right, it was a great moment, she was completely set free, Literally like six months ago here I was like hey just real quick Have those voices ever come back She said never The kingdom of God Had been established And he was reigning and ruling over her mind In this area Press pause I just told you a story of mine And it has nothing to do with me I didn't set her free it wasn't because of the words that I use. It wasn't my seminary education. It wasn't because I passed pastor in front of my name. I was just a human being surrendered in my weakness to Jesus who said, I have literally nothing to offer this woman. So when she told me her thing, I began to pray because I'm like, if it's up to me, she is screwed. I shouldn't say that word either. Sorry. True story. And I said, "Please Jesus, do this work." And he did. The kingdom of God expresses itself in power again. mean always I mean, I always express power the way we expect, definitely not on the timeline that we prefer, right? But the story of Matthew 12 is that he speaks into a moment, the gospel of Jesus with the kingdom. Did you see what he did in those verses? He gave sight to the blind. He empowered the lame person to walk. He cleansed those who were unclean with leprosy. It was just a big deal, right? The deaf who could not hear who Jesus prayed for and brought the kingdom into their lives, they received their hearing back. The dead were raised, not all of them. Right? Lazarus was raised from the dead, maybe somebody else. And those who were, this is important, those who were living in poverty, who were not accepted culturally as equals to the, to the wealthy, all of a sudden had the gospel of Jesus proclaimed to them, and they were allowed, not just allowed, invited into the presence of God. That's what the power of God does. It takes Those who are living in absolute rejection, forgotten, they'll be having stones thrown by them all day long by the Pharisaical church, like us, God forbid, it's not us, right? And says, no, I want to invite you into the presence of my kingdom. Beautiful. It's powerful. He reveals his ability, power to heal and to work miracles. The kingdom of God expresses itself in power. And here is the thing, we must honor God's power, submit and surrender to it, and then live expecting its movement, not our power, not our ability to talk, and not in our own arrogance and not in our own abilities, but living in a place of poverty, saying, I can't do anything, Jesus, so I just surrender and lean into you. Would you do the work? He's still doing it today. I live in the place of and conviction that everything that you read about in the New Testament, all the works that Jesus did in the lives of individuals, why would he stop doing them? Why would all why would he say, Well, the gifts are important while I'm here establishing the kingdom? But they don't need it towards the end of your life when I'm still establishing it right now. No, I think all the gifts of the Holy Spirit, all the working of miracles, all of these pieces that Jesus did here that were so important to the kingdom being established then are still needed, current and present today. I could again tell you stories of people being healed, set free, delivered. I haven't seen anybody raised from the dead, but I've read stories of those that I trust who have. Right? There's this movement of God that we want to experience. I want to be be a part of and I want you to be a part of. I'll be honest with you. I get tired of coming to church too sometimes. I don't always love spending hours preparing a sermon for people to fall asleep in the middle of. I'm not going to name names. I want to be part of a movement. And a people who believe in the power of God, who submit to it, who surrender to it, and say yes and amen to whatever God wants to do i don't want to be a people who just focus on the not yet king kingdom and the tension around it i'm tired of being around people who just throw darts throw stones and complain all the time i don't want to be that person i can see it in myself it is much easier to complain and to throw stones and critique with no answer for anything else than surrender and be used by god and i just want to invite you to the surrender Invite you to the poverty. And invite you... To be a conduit. I love, so John Wimber, he was the founder of the, the vineyard movement of churches that's still happening today, and he talks about this moment of his life where he was like ready for the movement of God. He was ready for, to see the Spirit of God move. He was ready to, to see healing. He'd never seen healing before, right? He'd never seen a working of miracles, but he was theologically and biblically convicted by it, and so he agreed to it and said, God, I don't, I don't understand how all this works, but I, I believe, God, so to put that into action, I'm going to start praying for healing for someone every single day. And so he did. For 365 days, the guy prayed for someone for healing every day and saw zero people healed. All right. And I have to imagine along the way there's a level of frustration, a level of, God, I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing, and God, I believe, and I have this conviction. God, I, all these pieces that we have, right, living in the tension, right, the tension of those things that don't really have very clear answers, but instead in the middle I said, but God, I'm convicted, and I believe, and I will not let my timeline dictate your timeline. I'm not going to let my expectation, right, define for you what you have to do and when you do and how you do it so god i'm just going to continue to be faithful and trust that somewhere along the way that you'll move so he tells a story at like day 366 and just in continuing on he laid hands on a person and god miraculously healed them now the moral of the story isn't that god will always work like that and that's that's your equation just go do that and at day 366 that'll happen no it's john wimber's story But part of his story is simply the surrender and the submission and in that handing everything over and say, you're strong, you're the line in the 20 by 20 room. I absolutely submit and to surrender to your power and to your strength and to your wisdom. I have nothing to offer except that which you have given me. And the only thing of value that I have is who, who you are in me, God. And so I surrender and you do you. The thing I want to invite our worship team to go ahead and come forward. And here's where we're going to end this morning. We want to be a people who expect the kingdom of God, the reign and the rule, the loving and kind and powerful God to begin to move in power and to begin to move very similar to how we see it in Scripture, right? We see the move of God. We believe in the power. We begin to see, begin to see people set free. And with that in mind, there's the three things. And, yes, I want you to focus on these things. And these are just real practical Number one, three things not on the screen. I just want you to listen. You can write them down. I want you to pick something in your life that you are not powerful enough to fix. I want you to name it. I want you to put that thing out there. This is the thing that I'm just not strong enough and powerful enough to fix in my own strength. And I want you to simply begin looking to God's kingdom power with it. I want you to begin like diving in like, God, would you awaken me? God, this is the thing that's too much. God, would you just begin to show me this thing in light of the power of the kingdom? It may be your kid. It may be your spouse. It may be your marriage. It may be your job. It may be your neighbor. It may be something internal right here in your mind. I'm not asking you to do anything about it. I just want you to put it before God and ask Him to reveal to you how He sees it in His power and in His strength. I think so often we wrestle because we just don't have the viewpoint and the image of something that God has, and that's the starting point. Name the thing before God which may be scary. Trusting God may be scary. Let us invite you to push through that and say, God, here's the thing that's just too strong for me to fix. Would you just begin to give me your vision and your perspective for it in light of the power of the kingdom? That's number one. Number two, would you pray and simply ask God to use you to be a conduit of his power? Just pray say, God, today, today, Lord, would you use me as your conduit? You are like the extension cord, right? He's the power source. You're just a dead, nothing to offer power cord laying there until you plug in, right, to the power source. And all of a sudden, you're a live wire, right, to be used for his kingdom. You know what I'm getting at. So I'm not going to say you got to go to church. I'm going to give you until tomorrow morning. Maybe put it on a post-it note. Put a post-it note by your bed and say, God, today I surrender in my poverty of spirit to you. And I say, Jesus, I just simply want to be a conduit of your power today. Use me in the life of anyone that I meet in Jesus' name. And then start looking for it. You may go 365 days doing that with nothing. Right? Right? You may even go 366 days, but in this somewhere along the way, God will begin to move. So pray and ask God to use you as a conduit for His power. And then three, just love people in need with the power of Jesus. So pray for healing and miracles. That'd be a, that'd be amazing, right? But you're also loving people through God's power of humility, of selflessness, and of patience and compassion. You want to see the power of God? That's, in my opinion, the greatest expression of the power of God moving through you. I can pray all day long for someone I don't like, for healing, and then walk away and go, whoo, prayed for healing, did my part to walk with them in patience and compassion for a long period of time that expresses in my opinion the greatest level of power from God in my life so what i'm saying love people in need with the power of jesus maybe it's prayer and maybe it's just expressing a patience and a compassion and really what you want to do is slap them across the face cuz you're frustrated and you know what i mean All right. I'm done. Let's pray.